So, I was going to be having a drink while we were recording today, but I completely forgot. So, instead, I have Coca-Cola. Is that the orange cream? The orange orange vanilla. Yeah. So, the cream sickle. Yeah. It's good. I like it. You should go get a drink. It'll be a fun episode. Woo! It actually would be, yeah. I'll be back. Got me the uh, Menage a Trois bourbon barrel. My favorite. Gonna get a nice little pop here in a minute. And I had to walk all over the house to find it. Oh, where was it? Dad's office. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the other wines are downstairs, but the Menage a Trois bourbon barrel, which I know I like, <laughs> is up here. Good pop. I'm the weirdo that sniffs the corks. Nope, we did the same thing earlier when they when we opened the Prosecco. <laughs> Hell ratty. Okay, I think it's, uh, I think it's time. Oh yes, it is definitely time. Go, 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 oh, yes. go, 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 go. <laughs> oh yes. And I can do this. that, hold on. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Grace, and that's Rachel. I'm Rachel, that is Grace, and welcome to our podcast. It's Myths and Misfortunes. We are a paranormal and true crime podcast. Each week, we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. Why am I talking like this? (laughs) It's your sultry voice. (laughs) Is that my sultry voice? I don't know. And or surrounding areas. Mine's a surrounding um, area. We are both surrounding areas. <laughs> Which is insane. <laughs> I well, mean, because... no, I feel like yours is in the city because it's like a Fern Creek to a Louisville. <sighs> yeah, but it's still like 20 minutes outside of like Maine. Yeah, so, so it's Fern Creek. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's like a J-Town in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... This week, we are in Columbus, Georgia, and I had the hardest time writing Georgia after Columbus. Ohio, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like like we said, we are both outlying, so mm-hmm. this... <laughs> our history is in Columbus, Georgia. My sources are wikipedia.com, columbusga.gov, GeorgiaEncyclopedia.org and Britannica.com. So, Columbus, Georgia was originally the site of the Creek Indian Village. I could not find a more PC naming of it. It, it 
everything just said the Creek Indian Village. Mm. But it was actually one of the few cities in the U.S. to be planned out prior to its actual founding, which is super interesting to me. It was founded in 1828 and is situated on the beginning of the navigable portion of the... (laughs) I don't think this is right. I didn't look it up. Chattahoochee River. Chattahoochee, that's it. Chattahoochee, okay. So it is spelled exactly the way it sounds. And along the last stretch of the Federal Road before entering into the state of Alabama. Hmm. The city, of course, was named after Christopher Columbus. Isn't the, our, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The planning that I literally just mentioned was drawn up by a gentleman named Dr. Edwin L. de Graffenreed. <laughs> Uh, He placed the town on a bluff overlooking the river, which, that just sounds beautiful to me. I'm sure it it might maybe not be, but it sounds beautiful. The Native American tribe continued to live across the river until they were forcibly removed by the federal government in order to make way for the European American settlers in 1836. I feel like this is how most of our histories go. It's like, Native Americans, no, I... Native Indians were here, and then... And then European Americans took over. Yeah. This was actually known as the Creek War and forced out 16,000 natives in what later became known as the Trail of Tears. Yeah. So there are multiple Trail of Tears. With the arrival of the railroad in the 1850s, textile mills began to pop up all along the river, which brought an area that was heavily reliant on agriculture. Mm. That's something else we continue to come across. Everything is heavily reliant on agriculture until we hit the industrial age. That's just how time works. Yes. By 1860, the city was one of the mew... The mew. Mew, mew. It's a cat. See, and the wine has not even hit yet. The city was more... Was one of the more important industrial centers in the South. During 1861, the city became one of the most important centers of industry for the Confederacy during the Civil War. The city actually ranked second in the manufacture of supplies for the Confederate Army. They focused in textiles and ironworks for clothing of soldiers and to supply weapons. Mm. Not so fun fact, Union and Confederates fought in the Battle of Columbus, Georgia on Easter in 1865, and this was actually the last land battle of the war. Oh, wow. At really? least that's what, yeah, at least that's what Wik- Wikipedia said. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the last land battle of the west, like west of the mountains. By the late 1890s, the city had modernized enough to include the additions of trolleys and a new waterworks. Which, super exciting in my opinion, at least, because, you know, running water, clean water, yada yada. Running water leads to um, less illness. Yes, yeah, super exciting. The Columbus College was established in 1958. Next bullet point. Between the 60s and 80s, the construction of highways and suburbs separated the middle and upper classes from downtown Columbus or the urban decay areas. 
there were some early efforts in an attempt to halt the deterioration of the downtown area by saving and restoring the Springer Opera House in 1965. Hmm. This sparked a historic preservation movement in the city, and this continued throughout the 2000s. In 2002, the River City for the Performing Arts was opened. This, along with others, provided a kind of cultural niche combining historic architecture with colorful and vibrant modern architecture. And today, since things are starting to open up, you could visit the National Infantry Museum, the Columbus Museum, and the Coca-Cola Space Science Center, which I really want to go to. That actually sounds really fun, yeah. It really does. Um, Or if you're an outdoorsy person and enjoy fresh air, you can visit Flat Rock Park or the Columbus Botanical Gardens. Oh, yes. I love a good botanical garden. Yes. We absolutely need to go to both of those places. So, that is history of Columbus, Georgia. Yes. Okay. Oop. Well... I guess it's time for a murder. Oh, is it a murder? It could have been any crime, but it's a murder today. Most of them have been. Mm-hmm. The forgery the guy. yeah. Who also was a murderer, but that's mm-hmm. beside the point. Okay, so today, I was looking through, um, just like, murders in Georgia, and mortars and mortars mortars that's you did not say mortars but i heard oh. mortars <laughs> um murders in georgia and i found this one and it was so interesting um mm-hmm. and I, I had heard it before somewhere i can't remember one of the podcasts i listened to i heard it on there but i couldn't find the episode so I just had to do a bunch of research on it. Um, I mean, I always do. But, oh, darn. I mean, you had to do your own research. Do. I always do. But <laughs> sometimes listening to it helps me form a better story for it. But mm-hmm. I couldn't find it. So I just went ahead and researched it. I'm doing Corpsewood Manor. Ooh. Yes. Which Fancy. is not in Columbus. It is actually about three hours north. Um it's, like, just south of Chattanooga. Um, okay. I think it's, like, hmm? Somerville, Georgia. My sources are, you're going to love this, churchofsatan.com. Weekendweird.com. Investigation Discovery. Abandoned Southeast, Atlas Obscura, TimesFreePress.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, and DailyMail.co.uk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I say Church of Satan as a source, you know it's going to be interesting. Always, 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 always. Yep. Okay. Okay. Let's so do continue. We will start with Charles Scudder. He was a professor of pharmacology at Loyola University in Chicago and mm-hmm. was the associate director for the Loyola University of Chicago Institute for Mind, Drugs, and Behavior, where they performed government-funded experiments using psychoactive drugs. So... Basically, like, you know all those stories, like, um, 
LSD was developed by the government. Hey. It wasn't. Okay. <laughs> it was used no, by the government wasn't. to, you know, like MKUltra yeah. and stuff. Um, so he was a widowed father of four boys who were all adults at the time that all of this ends up taking place. Uh, he was described as an eccentric man who was really into the unity of the universe and apparently at one point, like, think of an eccentric person, um, and you'll think of a weird dude, but you don't usually think of a man who, uh, at one point had a monkey and would dye its hair different colors. I don't know. When I think eccentric, that, that falls right there under I don't eccentric. know usually think like, of, like, Elon right Musk. right there. Although I feel like that's probably something he would do. That's definitely something he would do. Heck, that's definitely something I would do. (laughs) Fair. Fair. (laughs) He was also an accomplished harp player and had been invited to play with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. Which is very prestigious. Yes. He lived with his two dogs and his boyfriend, Joseph Odom. Um, okay. Joey, as everyone called him, Aww. was 12 years Scudder's junior and was described as a quiet and feminine man who had dropped out of the fifth grade and had run-ins with the law. Odom served as a cook and a housekeeper for Scudder and his sons for years, and when Scudder's sons moved out of it, it was just the two of them living in the mansion with their two English mastiffs. Interesting uh, tidbit, their... The mansion was actually built in 1904 by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, yes. fancy. You know, that place was pretty interesting. Yes, it was. Um, it was a sp- All the nooks and crannies. Yeah. It was supposedly yeah. a rough area, but Scudder enjoyed the mansion and the space it provided for his various interests, which included collecting oh, no. antiques, painting, oh, that's not bad. and playing the harp course in 1976 scudder did what we all want to do at one point or another when we become like Mm -hmm. disillusioned with our jobs and like where we live Uh you know we resign from your job and try to live off the grid in a big house on 40 acres of woods in chattooga county georgia well maybe not that maybe not that part but the rest of it pretty much so They stayed in their Chicago home until Scudder's 50th birthday, uh, when, after receiving a small inheritance that left him with a monthly stipend, uh, he sold off or gave away most of his possessions and officially resigned. They moved down to Georgia during an ice storm with only their dogs and whatever they could fit in their Jeep. Same. Let me take a drink. I know, I'm just sipping away here. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be lit by the time I get to mine. it's gonna be fun. (laughs) It's gonna be fun. Uh, when they arrived, they, oh, it's like, sad, but funny. Mm-hmm. When they arrived, they saw a dead horse blocking the road up to no. their house, which is the sad part. No, no, no. But then they promptly, <laughs> they changed the name of the road to Dead Horse Road. I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> Why? It's Dead Horse Road. Um... So they thought the trees on the land were, like, hauntingly beautiful because they were, like, pretty bare. So Mm -hmm. they named their home Corpsewood Manor. The house actually wasn't finished when they uh, moved. 
They lived in a camper with their dogs while they built their two-story brick castle-like home, dream home using only hand tools and over 45,000 bricks. Like, All right, like listening some... to it sounds like so romantic, but also a little horror movie-ish. Like, like well, hold on. Are they building it themselves mm-hmm. or do they have workers? They're build- building oh, it totally themselves. Crafty. Yeah. Good for them. Um, Like, totally themselves. Scudder referred to the move as, like, a magical metaphor- metamorphosis. Uh, a metaphor? Metamorphosis. And <laughs> he said it was, like, crawling out of an old outworn skin, which mm-hmm. sounds pretty nice. Um, yes. A snake. Anyway, the house, snake. <laughs> the house took them a few years to build. Um, by the end of the first summer, they were able to move into the first floor, which contained... Mm-hmm. The kitchen, dining room, and living room. The next year... They slept in the living room. Uh, probably, yeah. The next year, they put a roof over the two upstairs bedrooms, which were reached by a circular stairwell, which was illuminated by stained glass. It sounds very They pretty. didn't have a roof. No, they had a roof, but the second floor didn't have a roof. Did they know how much damage that caused to, like, all the floors? They were totally... It was totally of fine. Of the second... Okay. It was fine. So, besides the two-story house, the couple built several outbuildings, including a... I, so, I think that they, like, built the house, the first story, fine. But they didn't actually okay. add anything on top of that. I think it was just, like, a regular roof, and then they added a second story. So, they built a one-story yeah. and then built the... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> they built a couple outbuildings, including a three-story building, which they called the Chicken Coop. So, that's a chicken mansion. It's it's like a tower. Like, they built, like, a like a square tower, like, basically. Oh, oh, like the goat castle. Kind of, kind of. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The first floor of the coop was, I mean, you can guess it was for chickens. Yeah. The second floor was for, like... Food, um, like food storage and food for the chickens. The third floor was nicknamed the pink room and was where the couple would entertain guests. Like, yes, it was a big enough building where that third floor was like where they would bring people in. Look, chickens are stinky. Um, I don't know. That's gonna permeate through that second floor and go up to the third, especially in hot summer months. Oh, just wait. Just... So, oh, this is gonna get so bad. No, it's got nothing to do with that. You're focusing on the wrong thing again. <laughs> anyway, some sources said that this is where they had a porn collection and a BDSM, like... <laughs> I don't know about anyone else, but I definitely do not want to be doing that there. <laughs> well, it's just a rumor. It's not, like, something I could really Hard evidence. Yeah. Yeah. They also happen to have a drawer full of 12,000 doses of LSD that Scudder had pocketed from his job. Apparently, like, he didn't even really use drugs himself. He would just share them at parties. He just wants to see everyone else get fucked up. Yeah, or maybe they were just, like, a um, to remember his old job. I don't know. So, the property was only accessible by an old logging road. There was, mm-hmm. you know, dead horse road. There was no running water. Oh, no. No phone or electricity available. 
They had a well to, to pump water uh, and use lanterns and candles for light at night. They used uh, wood boning. Wood boning. <laughs> <laughs> do not do that. Uh, that would be painful. God. They used a wood burning stove for heat and they had a chemical toilet in an outhouse. And they grew their own food. Behind the house, they okay. had a small vineyard for making homemade wine. It's like peak gay cottage witch vibes. Like Yes. 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 Scudder was actually a huge fan of the Adams family. And he sort of... Of course. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of decorated the house similar. Like, with... They had these two ancient human skulls, occult symbols, and artifacts, and... Uh, there was a lot of gay-centric literature and paintings. So they even had a pink gargoyle outside the house, and they nailed yes! a sign to the tree along Dead Horse Road that read, Beware of the Thing, <clears throat> which is, you know, that sign that's in front of the yeah. house in the Adams Family. Um, mounted above the mantle was a self-painted portrait that depicted Scudder with his hands bound behind his back. Um, Kinky. No. Uh, gagged. And five gunshot wounds to the head. What? Yeah, when Wh- visitors... Why? <laughs> when visitors asked about the painting, he would tell them, that's how I'm gonna die. Oh! Oh my god. Okay, did I mention that Scudder was a Satanist? I kind of put the dots together yeah. with the, um, um yeah. The, sir, the Church of Satan confirmed that uh, Scudder formalized his affiliation um, in 1980. Fantastic. Um, he actually created stained uh, glass that was incorporated into the windows of the house, uh, one of which was a stained glass, is it Baphomet sigil? What? Mm-hmm. The, the symbol of the Church about. of Satan. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He also painted right. pentagrams on the doors of his black Jeep and Dude. in the catalogs and books later found in the house. Like, oh. he didn't even try to hide any of it. Um, and while Odom always said that he himself was a Catholic, Dr. Scudder was always open about his beliefs and would, like, clarify any misconceptions about Satanism. So how well did the Satanist and a Catholic get together to the point that they could have a relationship? I mean, they're gay. I don't know. It's kind of. I mean, <laughs> like that's the only redeeming thing. They're find gay. gay. <laughs> it's kind of hard to find another gay. I mean, I'm wrong. <laughs> no, so, you're okay, not. Okay, so by the way, uh, <laughs> Satanists are atheists and don't believe in God or Satan. So if you actually mm-hmm. go to the website for the Church of Satan, the very first question in their FAQ is, why do Satan Satanists worship the devil? The answer is they don't. They are atheist. Satan is just like a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism. And serves as like a metaphorical ha, ha, projection ha. of their highest yeah. personal potential. Anyway. Um, now that I've stopped ranting about Satanism... They spent six years in their in their dream home, um, with Scudder building, digging, planting, and caring for the land. And Odom planted a rose garden and enjoyed cooking Aww. on the wood stove. Aww. Yeah, I know. And they made friends. It's so cute. I know. 
They made friends with and hosted parties for some of the locals who brought fruit for uh, Dr. Scudder to turn it into homemade wine. There was oh. there was even a wedding hosted in the Rose Garden with Dr. Scudder performing on his harp. Honestly, like, Aww. gay Satanist icon. Yes. Um, it, yes. It was extremely surprising to me that they were able to make friends the way that they did. It's because they were gay. Everyone <laughs> wanted their gay best friend. No. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> they were, they were extremely hospitable and likable, but like, you gotta remember, this is during the height of like, like satanic panic. Valid. Yeah. And on top of yeah, that, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, gay valid. men, which was already thought of as a perversion. Cause people crazy. Yeah. So one of the locals that they befriended was 17 year old Kenneth Avery Brock. Like a lot of other hunters in the area, Brock had requested and received permission to hunt on the couple's property. Like... Anytime a hunter asked, they would be like, go for it. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, and he had even uh, enjoyed their hospitality and their homemade wine multiple times. Uh, Some speculate that Brock might have become sexually involved with one or both of the men, but, um, or that he may have attempted to initiate sexual contact only to be, like, rebuffed. But, like, he was 17 and... Speculation. It, it was special. It was speculation, and the Church of Satan. It, it it's highly. They're highly against sexual contact with minors. So I'm not sure how plausible yeah. that theory of a sexual relationship was. Um, yeah, exactly. Regardless, like they're super ethical. Surprisingly, in any time that anybody yeah. like broke any of their like fundamental rules, like you're gone. So yeah. But I mean, they better than regardless of the nature of the yes. relationship. Brock assumed that the couple was wealthy due to their lifestyle when in fact Scudder and Odom had put most of their money into the home and never had any sort of money in in the house at all. Yeah, did they even keep their jobs? Like, no, no. They moved, so I assume, assume no. No, they um well, Odom was And they never for got him. new ones. Odom worked okay. for him, and then um, Scudder worked at the uh, Loyola University, and he quit. So they just, like, quit and moved to become self-sustainable, bought 40 acres of land. So, um, I hope they paid cash for the land. I don't know. <laughs> and all the materials, because, yeah. Sorry. You love me. You always focus on the weirdest <laughs> details every single time. <laughs> when I get when I get really into it, I do tend to focus so, on the weirdest <laughs> details. Regard. Oh, okay. So I. Uh, where was I? In November of 1982, um, Brock Avery Brock moved into a trailer owned by 30-year-old West, an unemployed construction worker. Brock told West about the, quote, queer devil worshippers who he believed were hiding a fortune in their home. The two men mm. then made a plan to rob the couple. Yeah. Because that turns out well. Yeah. yeah. December 12th, 1982, Brock and West picked up West's nephew, Joey Wells, and his girlfriend, Teresa Hudgens. They were supposed to be going on a date. But the car wouldn't start, so West picked them up. They convinced the two teens to come along with them under the guise of getting some drinks and hanging out at Corpsewood Manor. When they arrived, Scudder took them into the pink room where they partied, drank homemade wine. (laughs) And they huffed... Oh, homemade wine. Look, look, they huffed paint thinner 
alcoholic <laughs> glue, which it's this, it's like a mixture of paint thinner, alcohol, and glue, which the locals actually have a name for. Okay. They call it Toodaloo. Because you go Toodaloo! I don't know, but it really sounds like a made-up drug from, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. It definitely does. I feel like that's an actual fake drug name that they've used on there. Anyway, after that, Andy Samberg or Samberg definitely made a joke about. Gotta definitely, be, gotta be. Yeah. After a few hours of partying, uh, Brock went out to the car, telling them he was gonna mix up some more Tootaloo, but he was actually grabbing a rifle. Oh no! Yeah. When Brock walked back into the room, Scudder laughed like he didn't know what was going on, and he stood up to adjust the lantern. When he did, Brock pulled a knife out of his boot and pressed it against Scudder's throat, demanding money. Uh, Brock then threw him onto the mattress before using the knife to cut strips of cloth from the sheets so him and West could tie Scudder up. And they stuffed some of the cloth in his mouth, so he was gagged. (laughs) This is not the way I thought that this was going to go. It gets worse. (sighs) Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens were terrified, obviously, and ran out to the car, but the car wouldn't start. They're having awful luck with cars. They really are. They headed back to the pink room where um, Brock was still demanding money. West handed Brock the rifle and Brock headed to the house where he ordered Odom, who was cleaning up the kitchen after dinner, out of the house. But he didn't even give him a chance uh, to do anything because Mm -hmm. Brock immediately shot him four times. Oh, my God. And then fired off a few more rounds, killing the dogs. (gasps) Yeah. No! So Brock returned to the pink room and led Scudder back to the house. Uh, Scudder was forced into the house only to see his longtime companion, like the love of his life, um, brutally murdered along with their dogs. Teresa later told investigators that he moaned with grief at the site, which is so heartbreaking. Um, Brock led him into the library, pulled down the gag in Scudder's mouth and sat him in a chair and continued demanding money. Scudder said that he didn't have any. Um, he Scudder then stood up and shuffled, feet still bound, back to Odom's body. West demanded that he stopped, and as he moved towards Odom, Scudder's last words were, I asked for this. Yeah, there's also, um, there's also a local legend that says that he's, he cursed the county to never prosper, but, you know, local legends. Um, West shot Scudder. What? I said, love the local local legends. legends. West shot Scudder in the head at close range five times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Brock and West searched the house, but found no money. Like he told them. They left with silver candelabras, (laughs) a leather jacket, a bracelet, some cut up glass and a radio, which they piled into Scudder's Jeep which they also stole. They attempted to steal the harp, but it wouldn't fit in the Jeep. Well, no shit. Right. They told the two teenagers that if they called the police, they would kill them too. And then they drove away. And they just left the teenagers abandoned? 
rude. It wasn't until two days later that a neighbor visited Corpsewood Manor and called the police after noticing bullet holes in the door, and that's when their bodies were found. Mm. Interestingly, that's the same day that Teresa Hudgens went into the police station, um, saying that she had escaped from Joey Wells' house. He had been keeping her captive since the murders because he was afraid that his uncle would kill them if they talked to the police. I mean, that was an honest fear, so... Honest fear, but also don't fucking keep people captive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Don't do that. That's still a crime. Both Hudgens and Wells cooperated with police, and they weren't charged in connection with the murders, which I get. But also, he kept her captive for two days. I should have charged him with something. Brock and Wes traveled west and stopped briefly in mississippi but only in an effort not to be noticed since you know they stole a black jeep with pentagrams painted on it like that's about how do you not get noticed yeah that's about as conspicuous as you could possibly get oh yeah especially during satanic panic i mean anyway yeah so but so they stopped in mississippi uh and they killed a Navy officer named Kirby Phelps at a rest stop and stole his car. Which is double insane because from what I read, this guy was cooperating, but they took him out into the woods and shot him twice. Yes. For yes, no reason. Because that makes total sense. Uh, they stopped in Texas, where Weston Brock got into an argument at a topless bar. <laughs> and they parted okay. ways. Yeah. West then drove through Oklahoma, Kansas, and Missouri. Um, then he started driving back to the scene of the crime. He stopped at the Palomino Club Lounge in Chattanooga, spotted a police officer, and <laughs> walked right up to this guy and said he was wanted for murder and tired of running. Okay. Yeah. Brock. Okay. Yeah. And um, that was Christmas Eve. Brock hitchhiked from Texas to Marietta, Georgia, and called his mom on a payphone. He said that he was tired, hadn't eaten in days, and that he needed someone to pick him up from a gas station. He confessed immediately to the police and said he wanted to be put to death. So, okay. during the investigation, the satanic panic reared its ugly head because... Of course. Obviously, this was... Like, this house was decorated in a, like, fairly macabre sort of way, so they were like... Oh, they're sexual. They're homosexual devil worshippers, and even the f- no, like even the fucking sheriff said that when you went to the house, you could feel the presence of evil in the house. Like, fuck off! Like the decor scared him more than the fucking murdered couple. I, I was gonna say, I'm not sure it's evil you're feeling. <laughs> they were. It's so awful. They were vilified in the media basically saying that they deserved it because of their no. lifestyle which is they did not crazy because the two men who killed them self-identified as like good christian men who literally went to bible study just 2 days before the murders well we mm-hmm. i don't like oh. i just wish the people would understand that like being a murderous asshole doesn't depend on your religion. I don't know. Weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, weird. So weird. <sighs> but all anyone could talk about was the couple's lifestyle and rumors about satanic rituals, orgies, and that they were, like, pedophiles. And 
Where? What? Because that was something that they believed about, like, not just homosexuals at the time, but Satanists. They believed that, like... They thought Satanists were pedophiles. They thought that they would, like, take and sodomize your children. They really thought that. Um, but, (laughs) like, the media didn't care about justice at all. Like, not only that, but the sheriff had actually tried to bring charges against the couple previously... For their lifestyle. what? Just because of their lifestyle. Because they were Satanists. Because he's a dumbass. Right. But he couldn't get anything to stick. Also, there was a lot of speculation that if Weston Brock hadn't killed a Navy officer, that they wouldn't have Mm -hmm. even been tried for murder at all. Probably not. Which is... We know how this goes. Probably not. Um, We've all seen how things like that work, like, currently. Um... Ultimately, Brock pleaded guilty and received three consecutive life terms while West was sentenced to death. West's death sentence was later overturned on appeal. Uh, Today, both men are behind bars and have been denied parole multiple times. Well, I'm glad they've been denied parole. In the mid-1980s, the house that Scudder and Odom had built together burned down, and the ruins are still standing in the forest. It's creepy. It looks so fucking cool. Like, you should look it up. Um, they left behind friends who loved them, and those friends still visit the Corpsewood Ruins, keeping it clean and organized and stuff. Uh, it's a pretty popular place for teenagers and even ghost hunters to visit because the area is said to be haunted or cursed. Like, people... It does look cool. Yes. I'm sorry. I yes. googled it. Oh my god. Yeah. And, like, people even take a brick home with them to see if the curse is real. And they're... Oh my gosh. This is such a unique house. Mm-hmm. There are even uh, really specific directions on how to get there on atlasobscura.com. It's like, go to this rock, turn left here. When you see this, go right. Like... Sure. Let's cool. just promote vandalism. Oh, well, it, it, so... It's privately owned now, but they do allow people to visit. Okay. So, like, like I said, a lot of ghost hunters and stuff vis- go through there, too. <laughs> Gargoyle. Yes. There was a small private funeral service held at Corpsewood Manor for Dr. Charles Scudder and Joseph Odom. Odom's ashes were scattered in the Rose Garden by the house, and Dr. Scudder's ashes were taken back to Wisconsin by his sister and buried in the family plot. Hmm. That's sweet. I just found all of it to be, like, so heartbreaking. Like, because these two men who just wanted to love each other and have their house in the woods where they weren't surrounded by, like, bigotry and judgment. And they still had to deal with that shit even in death. Oh. That's just horrible. One thing that is pretty hard to explain, though, is that painting that Scudder made. Yeah, that was pretty head, uh, like, right on the yeah. nail of the There's head. actually a picture of it online. Um, If you go to our shared drive, you can see it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucked up. Uh, but, like, it's almost, yeah. Like, the five shots and he's gagged. Yeah. I don't like that. No, it's not. Because his throat is also slit. I oh, really it? don't like that. I don't remember that. Yeah, part. it is. Oops. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me a second. Not this one. Oh my god, their mastiff was beautiful. <sighs> These teenagers were assholes. One of them was a teenager. The other one was a 30-year-old man. The 30-year-old was an asshole. They were both assholes. They were both assholes, yes. 
All right. Well, yeah, I just thought that the painting thing was like. That is super. Yeah. yeah. That's super, 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 super. All right. And uh, that's my story. Take it away, Rachel. (laughs) All righty. So we are now to my story, which is going to be fun because I am feeling my wine now. Ooh. What is um, your story today? I don't think you ever said. All right. So my story this week is the haunting of the Wyrick family. Oh, yeah. I know um, nothing about this. Yes. My sources are unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com, WTVM.com, Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. WTF.com. Um ghoststory.co.uk, unsolved.com, coolinterestingstuff.com, lightforcenetwork.com, mysteriousuniverse.org, and my last two sources I did from memory because I did not re-watch them, The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia, and a haunting, I believe it's episode 59. I don't think that's right, actually. <laughs> it's like they're... It's literally called A Haunting in Georgia, okay. is what it is. So, as I've mentioned before, I have always been into the paranormal for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I can blame my dad for this. I remember watching the series A Haunting when it very first came out. And if anyone looks that up, it will say August 6, 2002. So I was very young, elementary school age, um, actually second grade, if that explains anything about who I am. We were like eight. (laughs) Uh, yeah, okay. I was like my eight. favorite movie when I was a kid. It's it's so bad. My favorite <laughs> movie when I was that age was Ghost Ship. So, yes, <laughs> which is very fucked up. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but anyway, this story along with the haunting in Connecticut, which we have not covered yet. But it is now on the list for the same reason, where the very first specials released under the title A Haunting. So before the series ever came out, it was these two movies. But they weren't movies, they were like Like a mini specials. Not a A special. They're an hour long, yeah. So it's like a special. So as an eight-year-old little girl, (laughs) I watched... The first two episodes of an entire series, and this particular story had such an impact on me because the main character was not really close to my age, but but a child, yeah. like we were, like eight, I mean young. So I connected a little, but it had such an impact that I remembered the little minute details in I still remember the minute details, which is how I can write the story. And in high school, I stumbled across a DVD copy of A Haunting in Connecticut and A Haunting in Georgia in Half Price Bookstore. Do you still have them? 
I still have okay, them. Okay, look, Rachel. I have them right here. Rachel is one of the only two people I know who still have um, VHS tapes. <laughs> yes. So, I do still have those. That's amazing. I still have it right wow. here. Wow. Haunting in Georgia, haunting in Connecticut. It is actually my favorite story of the series is The Haunting in Georgia. And I have watched it many a times. I actually just recently watched the 2013 film that was released based on the story. I hated it. (laughs) The only saving grace to the film was Chad Michael Murray. Of course it was. Because the film did not stay true to the story. It doesn't matter. Chad Michael Murray was in it. Chad Michael Murray. Mur- Murray. Murray. <laughs> you are Chad not Michael the Murray. Ghost. <laughs> Look, he was a great dad in the film. Okay. Oh wait, Chad so, Michael Murray was a dad. He was a dad. When did this come out? In the film, 2013. Oh. Yeah. It still seems so. I mean, yeah. Oh no, Chad Michael Murray's like yeah. Okay. He's still so young. I mean, he's not much older than we I'm are. I'm sure he's like almost 40, dude. <laughs> That's not much older than we are. <laughs> We're going to be 26 this year. <laughs> Chad, my- oh, he's only 38. <laughs> I was going to say like 10, 12 years. We're good. All right. So, I okay. Mean, it's still like 12 years, so. He's not much older than we are in, like, the retrospect. Rachel says, uh, just so all of the older silver foxes out there know, she's available. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I'm okay with that. Okay. (laughs) So, we begin our story in... Oof, I did not look up how to pronounce the city. I'm pretty sure it's Ellerslie, Georgia. That sounds right. Yeah, in February of 1989, the Wyrick family, consisting of Andrew, Lisa, and their young daughter, Heidi, moved into the previously foreclosed and abandoned house after renovations were completed. According to the family, nothing out of the ordinary happened during the renovations. The three-bedroom home was a dream come true for the family, and their first steps towards a new life together. Anytime your dreams Everything come true was... and it's a first step towards a new life together, don't trust it. <laughs> Seriously, really? <laughs> Dude, it's like this house that I first moved into. God, it was so creepy. Remember when I moved to Indiana for a week? What? That house gave me the creeps. Oh my god, I you forgot don't... all about that. Yeah, oh my god. That house... Like, I love that house to death. It was beautiful, and it was so homey during the daytime, but when I was left alone, it creeped me the fuck out. I literally forgot all about that. I was only there for a week, so understandable. Um, Okay. Everything was normal until one day when Lisa, the mother, called Heidi inside for lunch. Three-year-old Heidi, 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 
Can you tell it has started to affect my speech? I mean, I'm talking when I shouldn't be, so I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Three-year-old Heidi excitedly came inside for lunch. Sorry, how old? Three. Oh, okay. Okay. Three. She was three. Very young, yeah. Um, She then began to tell her mom about the man outside who wanted to play with her and push her on the swing. Mm, No thanks. Her mother, well... You gotta think, this is 1989. They were just slightly more trusting than 10 years later when we were growing up. Uh, Things happened. Um, Her mother was understandably very concerned about this, so she kept asking Heidi about the man in kind of the same way you would ask a child about their imaginary friend. Oh, what does he look like? Mm. Exactly. So that, you know, she wouldn't scare Heidi. Heidi said that he, speaking of what does he look like, he was an older gentleman with gray hair, a tall hat, and shiny black shoes. Okay. Because that made an impression, shiny black shoes. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know those shoes I've got. Now, because Heidi was able to describe this man so well... Lisa wholeheartedly believed that someone was outside Mm -hmm. and that terrified her. Yeah. Someone was going to try to kidnap Heidi in her mind. She proceeded to tell her daughter to stay in the house, grabbed a butcher knife from the kitchen, the phone, and then called her husband demanding that he come home because Heidi said someone was outside. Mm. Which, like, honestly... is not that Same. crazy. It's really not. No, it's because, really like, not. Because, like, all kids do have a very active imagination and they can bring up shit like that. To be yeah. that quick at telling how this person looks, that's very concerning. Yeah. Um, okay. She then proceeds to go outside to try and confront this person who was talking to her daughter. But when she gets out there, there was no one there. Mm. Only a few minutes later, Andrew pulled into the driveway and began going to each of their neighbor's house in an attempt to identify the man that their daughter had seen. However, no one knew the man. And since they hadn't actually seen anyone, they determined that it was literally just just an imaginary friend that Heidi created. Even so, Lisa was super cautious about Heidi going outside alone after, well, after that. Right. And she would even go outside with her just as a precaution, which at three, three I feel like that should already be a thing, but I mean, it was a different yes, time. Yes, really. it was a different time. Yeah. It's like that story that I was reading you before about the kid who got kidnapped and his yeah. four-year-old brother. Yeah. Um, within the next week. The man appeared again to Heidi and said his name was Mr. Gordy. Heidi then proceeded to spend a lot of time in her room talking and playing with Mr. Gordy. Well, because she was limited in her time outside, remember? No, I'm saying Mr. Gordy. It sounds creepy. Yes. Uh, She would even ask her mother for extra plates of food to share with Mr. Gordy. Per a doctor's visit, this was very normal for a child of Heidi's age, which 
three, she's going to have a lot of imaginary friends. So Did you have imaginary yes. friends? I did. I had I no did. imaginary friends. I had I had imaginary friends. However, I knew they were imaginary. Mm. And that's basically what it comes down to. If your child cannot differentiate between if they're actually, you know, if they made them up themselves and if they're actually seeing mm. them. If they're actually seeing them, it tends to be that th- they're actually real. I don't know. I never had any imaginary friends, so I can't speak from any sort of experience. I think the closest um, me or my sister ever got to um, uh, imaginary friends was the one time that my sister, my mom went outside and my sister was just randomly throwing a frisbee and my mom's like, what are you doing? She said, I'm throw- I'm trying to play frisbee with God, but he won't throw it back. <laughs> Like God. God damn it, God. Throw the frisbee back. back. What are you doing? <laughs> no, um, my imaginary friend's name was Rory. This was when Harry Potter first came out, so I was really into Harry Potter and the British, and I don't know where I came up with the name Rory. That's a good name. Like, I know it's an actual name. It's a good name. But as a kid, I don't know where I came up with it. All right. So, per the doctor visit... This was very normal for a child of Heidi's age. Therefore, Lisa played along and would give Heidi the extra cookies or sandwich or glass of milk. However, the food did remain untouched. Okay, good. Good. Because that would be my first fear is that there's somebody like hiding in the ceiling or in the closet. Or or hiding in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. No. (laughs) Um, Apparently, Mr. Gordy was there every day. As most imaginary friends mm-hmm. are, Lisa would frequently watch Heidi playing outside, and she would see her reach her hand up as if she were holding another person's hand and just being, you know, kind of walked around the property. Oh, weird. They would have very, like, I would be kind of disturbed by they, that, yeah. but sure. They would have many conversations that Lisa could not hear or see, and Mr. Gordy would even push Heidi on the swing in the backyard. Like, actually push her. What? Her. Her. Yes. So, wait, so her mom saw the swing moving? Her mom saw the swing moving. It was one of those, you know, the swings that you put in the tree. Mm -hmm. So, really, the tree covered up where Heidi was, but she could see Heidi swing forward and then swing back. But, like, without her legs moving. Yeah. So, you know, like, when someone is pushing a kid on a swing. Yeah. Um, Mr. Cordy was not the only imaginary friend that Heidi had. Oh, really? Shortly after first meeting Mr. Gordy, she also spoke to her mother about a man named Con. Con. Who she, yes, Con, who she had seen standing at the front door. He had blood all over his shirt and had a bandage wrapped, like, all around his hand. And at this point, Lisa really wasn't sure what to think about her daughter's imaginary friends. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. I mean, 
now your daughter is imagining someone covered in blood. I'd be yeah, a little yeah, very I'd be concerned. Like, I'm sorry, he's what? Where are you getting this? Who is teaching you to think these things? Yeah, especially a three-year-old. Oh, this man's covered in blood. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, really? Where do you? Where do? What? Hmm. Sorry, yes. what? Psychiatrist? Hello. <laughs> okay, so. Luckily, Lisa and her sister Joyce were very, very close. Joyce was there to support Lisa and the family through all of this. And Joyce, wanting to be close to her family, purchased the house next to the Wyricks home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was the time of getting to know who owned the house prior to you, mm. I guess. We really don't do that now. But... The woman who Joyce brought, brought, bought, yes, bought, the woman who Joyce bought the property from, her family had apparently owned the house for many, many years. Mm. So in June of 1990, this woman found the deed to the property and brought it to Joyce, you know, just as a keepsake. Right, yeah. You, you own this house, now here's the deed. And... As the two women were talking, Joyce noticed that the signature said James S. Gordy. Yes. And Joyce, being close to her sister, of course, knew that Heidi had an imaginary friend named Mr. Gordy. And this was a very peculiar coincidence. Extremely. Like, no kid's going to be like, hi, Mr. Gordy. No. It's going to be like, hi, Mr. Fluffy hair or some weird shit. I know, like exactly. That. Gordy is such a specific yeah. name. Like, yes. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Big Shoes. What? Oh. <laughs> um, Joyce then asked the woman who the signature belonged to, and she was told that he had been the executor of the mother's will. He had apparently at one point been a realtor and had owned a lot of property in the area. The woman commented that she and her family had known Mr. Gordy for years. Hmm. And here's the kicker. When asked to describe him, she described him the exact same way Heidi did. She then told Joyce that Mr. Gordy had passed away in 1974. So Joyce is sitting over here, like, super, like, buzzed. Like, oh, my God, I have to tell my sister this. And she's literally waiting for this woman to leave so that she could (laughs) rush over and show her sister the deed to the house. Yeah, I feel like we've been in this exact situation. Like, oh, my God, wow, really? Um, are you leaving soon? Um... Yeah, I've got to go here in, like, two seconds. Can can I... I just got to pop out. <laughs> and it's like, bitch, guess what? Yes. Yes, and it went exactly like that. She rushed over to the Wyrick's home and showed her sister the deed and told her everything that the previous owner had told her. That's crazy. Lisa was shook. Uh, yeah, I would be. They then wondered if this could actually be Heidi's Mr. Gordy, Mm -hmm. which I would say yes. However, Andrew, Heidi's father, said no. This was not the same guy. Ghosts don't exist. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Jeez. Of course. (laughs) 
he apparently came from a family who was super close-minded to the idea of the paranormal. While Lisa, as a child, had actually experienced a few things herself. Hmm. So she was like, oh yeah, this could totally be it. Long story short, you need to find out your partner's uh, opinions on the paranormal before you get married. Look, when I was on um, whatever that dating thing is, Bumble... When I was on Bumble, I said, Bumble a dating look, I'm really, yes, it's a dating friend and business thing. Okay. However, for the friendship thing, it really only does, like, it's really sexist. Like, it only shows you females. Like, what if you want to have, like, guy friend? So it'd be great for the What gays. if you don't connect with women friends? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anywho. Back to the previous owner. At one point, she also brought over some old family pictures. One picture caught young Heidi's attention, and it was a photo of the man that she called Con. Mm. Um, I forgot about Con. Bloody shirt guy. Yeah, yeah. The previous owner said that this was her uncle Lon. Uh, L-O-N. Lon. He had apparently had an accident on the family farm. That took his hand away from him before he was even 20 years old. Dang. Yeah. He also passed away in 1957. Mm. So, long gone by the time Heidi is already around. So, she's literally seeing two ghosts here. It's interesting that she would get something so specific as Gordy, but couldn't get Lon. Well, I'm wondering if it's maybe... Because, you know, little kids, if you tell someone their name, if they can't say a certain letter, they just replace it with the next letter they can think of. I'll just go on. I'll just call them on. Well, here, I'll give you an example. My aunt's name is Anna. Mm. For some reason, when I was little, I could not say Anna. I called her Nana. So she is my aunt Nana. It makes sense you would put like a hard letter. Yeah, you'd put a random something in front of it. Which has honestly prepared her for having grandkids because now she is Nana to her grandkids. We helped. (laughs) Okay. Heidi continued to see both Mr. Gordy and Con. She was never afraid of the two and honestly things just kind of calmed down a little bit. You know, for just, you know, a little while. Mm -hmm. That is until 1993 when Lisa found out that she was pregnant. Things really took off after the birth of their second daughter, Jordan. Heidi began seeing a dark figure which just terrified her. It had no face, no distinguishable features. It was just a silhouette. Like, um... Like a shadow person yeah. that just just kind of standing ominously in a doorway. That is how a haunting picture it is. Just standing there in a doorway. I had a sleep paralysis dream like that. I hated that image. It was horrible. Two weeks after Jordan's birth, Lisa discovered deep scratches on Heidi's face. Mm. Three scratches across her cheek. Andrew told Lisa that Heidi probably just scratched herself in her sleep. Um, no. Which, 
it, it does happen. I have woken up and I have scratched myself in my sleep. Deeply? Not deeply, but I have scratched and myself. Not on the he face? Just, yeah. Oh, no, I've scratched myself on my face all the time. I've done deeply. it. Deeply. I have done it, yes. And while you were asleep. Yes. I also blame the cat, though, so. And you don't wake up? Um, what? No, I, I guess I'm just a really light sleeper. I, no. It was when I was a deeper sleeper. I am not such a deep sleeper anymore. Mm. Thanks to a certain dog and a certain cat. Okay. However, two nights later, Andrew woke up to a burning sensation on his side. When he got up to look, there were three scratches. Ooh, probably scratched yourself. Hmm. Uh-huh. This happened again the next night, and then the next night, and then the next night, and finally he started to believe his wife and sister-in-law that something paranormal was going on. It, they always, like, it's always the exact same. The father doesn't believe. It's the rest of the family that believes. And exactly. then as soon as something happens to the father, he's like, oh, okay. Exactly. That's why I'm so grateful that my parents are so open-minded to it. Like, we saged our house a month ago. We should have. I never did. You need to. uh, With everything going on, you need to. I think it's fun. (laughs) You think it's fun? Um, the family considered moving. However... They kind of determined that they were not in the right financial position in order to do so. They actually even questioned if moving would stop Heidi from seeing things. But ultimately, ultimately, they still did not move. Things only got worse for a period. Lisa and Andrew enlisted the help of their niece one night to watch baby Jordan. Right. She was alone in the house when she heard the baby crying and seemingly choking. Ch- fuck. What? She rushed in to the baby's room and found a ribbon looped around little Jordan's neck. What the fuck? Knotted very tightly. Like, so tightly, Jordan was starting to turn blue. What the fuck? Right. So... Their niece grabbed Jordan, ran to her mother's house screaming. Joyce had to take a very small pair of scissors and cut the ribbon off Jordan's neck in order to get it off. Like, that's how tightly it was. I'm sorry, yes. Jordan, uh, the, uh, whoever was watching. The baby. The niece couldn't. F- oh, the niece. She couldn't figure yeah. it out that she needed to cut it off. It's one of those, like, 10, 11, 12-year-old, like, old yeah. enough to babysit. Yeah. Um, there was no logic as to how this could have happened. Right. Were they alone? Was, um... She she did note that there was a teddy bear in the crib with Jordan. However, Jordan was too young... Right. ...and too small to have been able to remove the ribbon from the teddy bear and wrap it so tightly around her own neck. Right. It was tied. It was tied. So tight. The family believed that the dark spirit that Heidi was seeing was responsible for this. And seeing as moving was still not an option, 
they decided they needed to fight for their house. Why not? They called, yes, fight for your house. They called the local library and asked about getting help from a parapsychologist. Mm. As a little, you know, side note, they fought this for 16 years. Oh, I feel like like that's a bit too long. A long ass time. Heidi kept seeing spirits. Many, 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 many more other than Mr. Gordy and Khan. Unfortunately, though, there were many times that the family would have to leave their home in the middle of the night for safety reasons. Heidi would wake up screaming, she would be scratched, have her hair pulled, and would often wake up to see the dark figure hovering over her at night. Even Lisa would be laying in bed and she would hear voices coming from above her to the sides of her. I mean, literally all around her. Oh, thank you. Yes. And they would be, they would be conversations in those really deep, gravelly Ooh, voices no thanks. That, that ultimately made her paranoid because she felt they were talking about her. Um, yes, I would also be paranoid about that. Their dog would also often bark and growl at things that were not there. Like I said in the last episode, trust your dog. Trust them. They know what they're talking about. The family was also frequently in and out of doctors and hospitals for mysterious illnesses and surgeries. And all of this was blamed on the dark entity that Heidi had seen. Mm. The family was finally in touch with Dr. William Roll, who was a parapsychologist and also with the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. The show was able to obtain a copy of Mr. Gordy in order to test Heidi and see if this was the person who she was actually seeing. They placed his picture among a collection of other pictures with men of the same age with similar qualities and Heidi was able to accurately identify who he was. Oh, really? Yes. Mr. Gordy was her protector until she was eight years old and it was actually right before the filming of Unsolved Mysteries, which I did not know was a thing I'm gonna have to watch. She had apparently just gotten a new bike and was in the backyard where he helped her onto the bike and, you know, kind of helped scoot her Mm -hmm. along riding the bicycle. And she said this was the last time she ever saw him. I do have to note right here, this is the only part of the story that that film with Chad Michael Murray got right. That's it. Oh, wow. That's the only thing. Everything else... Look, they brought in something about the Underground Railroad and Mr. Gordy's, like, grandfather was killing these slaves. And I'm just sitting here like... What? It's... I mean, it's a good movie, but knowing the actual story, I was sitting here like... No, it had nothing to do with it. The names were all the same... Except for that. I mean, they take liberties in movies, so... It was purely creative licensing. Like, that is it. 
the the family finally did move out of the home. However, that did not stop Heidi from seeing things. Apparently, the first night in their new home, she was held up by her ankles. What? Yes, by a spirit, by her. Get this girl a fucking exorcism. I don't know what what I. She is now a grown woman with a family of her own as of, I think, 2012. She had a set, of, a set of twins, a little girl and a little boy. She has started to learn how to handle her ability to see spirits. Mm. She continues to see spirits of all kinds. Dark spirits, animals... Hmm. Good spirits, wandering spirits, um, whatever the heck, the spirits that are imprinted in the ground, because I can't remember the word I mean, right I guess now. it would make sense, because they say that, like, people who have an affinity for, like, being able to see things, they tend to attract more attention because they're seen. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. But the sightings have been so frequent that she really doesn't pay attention to them anymore. Okay. So... As you would, if if it was you, yeah, as yeah, you, you would, sort you just wouldn't pay attention. Things. There is really no explanation as to why this happened to the family, and according to the episode of A Haunting, it strongly suggested that this was a family gift that was passed down generation to generation, and that it was just super strong when it came to Shit, Heidi. that doesn't sound like a gift. Well, it doesn't sound like a gift, but also, if you think along the lines of, like, Ghost Whisperer... I don't know. It can I mean, be. it's not... It doesn't sound yeah. like she did anything with her ability. No. As far as I can tell, no. But Heidi and her family actually nurtured it rather than ignoring it like her mother did, which only helped with her ability to see things, which is why she can still see things, whereas her mother at her... At the same age Heidi was, was not able to see them. So kind of like, you know, an art of any kind, you practice enough and you start to grow with it. So, yeah. Oh, that's 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 all? That's my story. God, I wish there was more to it. Like, as far as I know, there's no actual activity in the house. So it's all basically just... It's all followed Heidi. Yeah. That's interesting. Which is good for the new owners of the house, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you. you're not haunted, but like, this poor sh- Your house isn't haunted. Oh, yeah, this but this poor is... little child is. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's it, fine. It's not you. It's not you. It's me. Um, I see the things. I see dead people. But no, like... I fully expected going into the story for it to have a better resolve than it did yeah. 10 years ago. No. I do have to say, there are some real assholes on the internet. I can like, imagine. 2005? Heidi is... If I'm doing their math right, she's 16 years old. She is shown on the episode of A Haunting. 16 years old. She looks like a normal 16-year-old. This freaking asshole says that she looks like a beached whale. And I'm sitting here like, no. What the fuck? She looks like a 16-year-old. Yeah. Like, 
What is your concept of a beached whale? Also, when are we going to stop commenting on women's bodies or anyone's body? Exactly. Like, everything that she's gone through and you're commenting on her weight on the internet in 2005 when the internet honestly really was not a well, real you thing. Know, it was 2005. Just that yet. makes sense. Doesn't excuse it. But it doesn't excuse I understand. It, but still it's just one of those that I can't grasp my mind around it. Um I do have to say one thing that I really enjoyed about the a haunting episode they used the mother. The mother acted as herself. Oh, really? Um, Jordan, who was of age, I think she was like five or six at the time, played both Heidi and young Jordan. It was really... I, I love that episode. It's my favorite episode of the series. It's really good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Your, uh, country <laughs> I'm sorry. Came in when you said Wine. it was your favorite. My favorite. It's, it's my, my favorite. favorite. It's my favorite episode, guys. And gals. And non-binary. And gals. Pals. I'm just throwing corks across I thought that was good. Around. Guys and gals, non-binary pals. I felt like that was nice. If you enjoyed that. If you didn't. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes. On Instagram. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. You can follow us on the on Instagram because I'm a grandma. <laughs> Meet me at the Walmart. <laughs> the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter. Actually, no, they have different ones. Miss and Misfortunes. <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to Myths and Misfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Also, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe, especially on iTunes. It's apparently more important on iTunes than anywhere else. Seriously, we got our first five-star rating. I don't know when that happened. We never got a notification. I don't know who did it, but bless you. But thank you. Yes. Um, also, we do now have a website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. It's a real website. You do not. We have a real website that we are still currently working on. Yeah, we're still on, making some so it's gonna tweaks get better. and stuff. So. Yeah, we're just a, a few little minor tweaks every once in a while. But yes, we have a website. Please follow us. Please check on us. We do have links to all of our, where we can be listened to, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. All right. Thanks so much for yes, listening, thank guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.